2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts, that you would bring about beautiful fruit for the glory of our Christ, the fruit of righteousness, Lord, the fruit of holiness, and the fruit of saving faith. Lord, bless us as we study your word. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been in the Gospel of Luke for almost two years. We almost don't even know what to do. Uh, but it's a blessing to get back to a uh, Pauline epistle. Uh, I pray that this is going to be helpful and encouraging and strengthening in your faith. And maybe if you're here and you've not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe today would be the day of salvation that God would grant repentance that leads to life and that you would leave here with a new heart and the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life. I want to give us uh, four sections in this text that will help us kind of uh, in this introduction and overview as we get started in this letter. It's an epistle. It's a letter to a church and I want to do that first by, number one, looking at the author and the recipients of the letter. The author and the recipients in verse 1. And then, number two, the date and the location. We're going to look at Acts chapter 18 so we can better understand when this uh, letter was written and where it was written from. Number three, we're going to look at the theme and the purpose of the letter and we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians, kind of an overview of 1 to 3, but then key verses, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. We're going to look in there and see kind of a, a key passage that will help us set our course and even where we got our sermon series titled, Destined for Glory. And then number four, finally, we're going to look at Paul's greeting and thanksgiving in verses two to four. The thanksgiving, we'll look at two reasons for the thanksgiving and then one result of that thanksgiving, what Paul was thankful for. So let's dive in. Number one, the author and the recipients look at verse one, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, first of all, we think about Paul as the only one, but Paul is working with some 
co-laborers. And so Paul is the writer and he's together with Silvanus and Timothy. You may have a translation that says Silas because that's exactly who it is. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15 and we're gonna see Paul and Silas. Silas was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 15 that Silas and Judas were the ones who were to take the letter from the Jerusalem council back to Antioch, to send it to Antioch and to read it to them. So in verse um, 22 of chapter 15, it says, they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. And so we have the letter right there uh, that was sent. And then down in verse 32, it says, and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And we have in verses 36 down to 41, we have the separation of Paul and Barnabas. And remember, Paul chose Silas to go with him on his second missionary journey. And that's around 49 to 51 AD. And that's where his second missionary journey starts. Maybe right there in verse 36 and following down through 16. And we see uh, Paul and, uh, and Silas pick up Timothy and Lystra. And then they end up going to Philippi in Macedonia. Lydia is converted. Remember, the jailer is converted. And it's Paul and Silas in jail singing praises to God. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? They head about 100 miles down to Thessalonica from Philippi. And that's where a church is planted. And Paul and Timothy and and Silas are laboring for the planting of this church in Thessalonica. So it's Paul and Silas and Timothy, and Silas and Timothy are co-senders of this letter. John Polhill, who was my seminary professor and a Pauline scholar, said, mentioning them, Silas and Timothy, was not perfunctory. They were one with Paul in their concern for the congregation. They were truly joint senders of the letter. And you see in 2 Thessalonians, it's we. Look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God. Verse 4. We ourselves boast about you. Verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you. Now, Paul gives a teaching section. He says, remember, this is what I taught you. And then it continues, we, and so it's Paul and Silas and Timothy. You might say, you know, what's up with Sylvanus and Silas? Well, I think it's kind of like this. When Richard, our oldest son, was born, we named him Richard. And it was a big name for a little bitty baby that was our first child that we held in our arms. It was a big name. And when he went off to college, we dropped him off and we said, we love you, Richard. And we came back for parents weekend a couple months later and everybody was waving at him and us and they kept saying, hey, Ricky, what's up? How's it going, Ricky? We're like, who are they talking about? (laughs) Who is Ricky? And Richard said, oh, well, that's what they call me, you know, because of the, the golfer Ricky Fowler. So they call me Ricky, even at his wedding. 
the rehearsal dinner. People are calling him Ricky, and it's, it's almost strange to us, but he goes by Ricky, and he goes by Richard, and Silas went by Silas, and he went by Sylvanus, and that's who it was. It was Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church that he's writing to, that they're sending this letter to, that they had planted just 100 miles away from Philippi in Macedonia. And this was a group of Jews and Gentiles who had come to saving faith through the preaching of the gospel when they brought it there on that second missionary journey. And notice, to the church, the assembly of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A reminder that God is our Father, that we're brothers and sisters, that we have the same Father because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that we worship the same Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus is our Messiah. He is our Christ, and we are the family of God. The author is Paul and Silas and Timothy and the recipients, the church of the Thessalonians. Number two, the date and the location. Let's go back to the book of Acts in chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1 in Acts 18, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And when he, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so what we, what we find is that Paul had gone to Athens. He had stayed in Athens, and Timothy and Silas were not with him. In fact, that's probably where he wrote 1 Thessalonians was in Athens. Right after they had planted the church, he got word of some, some troubles, and he wanted to write back to encourage them in their faith. And he ends up going on to Corinth, and that's where Silas and Timothy met him. They arrived from Macedonia. And when they found Paul, he was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Jesus is encouraging him. 
Keep preaching the gospel. I have many people who are mine who are in this city, and that's how they're going to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's through the preaching of the gospel. Verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul is in Corinth for at least a year and six months. And if we look at the the timeline in the book of Acts, in the second missionary journey from 49 to 51, and then the latter part of it, we see that Silas and Timothy are still with Paul on that second missionary journey in Corinth. And so we can safely date the letter between 50 and 51 AD, probably towards the end of 50 and the beginning of 51, and written from Corinth. Most scholars are in full agreement on that, the dating and the location. So the author is Paul, together with Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and he's writing from Corinth around 50 to 51 AD. Now, number three, let's look at the theme and the purpose. When you think about 2 Thessalonians, you think about the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. In fact, details about the return of Christ that we don't have anywhere else. Paul is giving even more details about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we would say this, the theme is the second coming of Christ. That's the theme of 2 Thessalonians. But the purpose is to correct false teaching about the second coming and to comfort, encourage, equip, and exhort the church to stand firm in the faith, knowing who they are and where they're headed. So their identity, knowing who they are and where they are headed. Where are they headed? They're headed for glory. To obtain the glory that is in Jesus Christ. And so we could say what our titles or the series title is, they are destined for glory. Look at verses, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Here are the key verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He says, you are beloved. You are the beloved of the Lord, beloved by the Lord. Your brothers, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he chose you as first fruits to be saved. And when we think about first fruits, we know that this is the beginning of the harvest. It's the first taste of the harvest. And what he's saying is, there is a harvest coming behind you. You are the first fruits. You are the 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 original members of this local church and don't be discouraged. Know who you are. Know where you're going and that Jesus is going to build his church in Thessalonica. It will flourish. It will grow. You're the first fruits. 
And he chose you to be saved through the setting apart unto holiness by the work of the Spirit and through believing the truth. That's how the gospel, when the gospel comes to us, it is the Spirit who opens our eyes. It is through the gospel and our faith in the truth that we are saved. And it is the work of God. He chose you as the first fruits to be saved. And then he called you unto salvation through the gospel in order for you to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus. He called you and he purposed you to obtain the glory that is in Christ Jesus. You are the beloved of the Lord. He's chosen you, he's saved you, and he will keep you and you will obtain the glory that is in Christ Jesus. You were destined for glory. And that should be an encouragement for us. Because if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's your identity as well. That's my identity. He chose us to be saved. He chose us to receive the gospel, to believe the gospel, and to obtain the glory that is in Christ Jesus. And that's where we're going. And we will see him. And we will be completely free from sin one day. We will be like him, set free from the penalty of sin from the bondage of sin, and one day from the presence of sin altogether. That's the purpose of the letter, to encourage, equip, exhort, and to correct false teaching. And number four, we're going to look at verses two to four in the greeting and thanksgiving. Number four, greeting and thanksgiving. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is very familiar to us by reading the Bible and reading Paul's letters. But it would have been so unusual in the first century. See the, the normal Greek greetings was not grace to you. The normal Greek greetings was greetings. Well wishes to you. Health and happiness. It was the word that came from be glad. And Paul changed it and transformed it into the word grace to you. It was a reminder that your salvation came by the grace of God. By grace you were saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Their salvation came by the grace of God. And he brings a greetings of grace reminding them of the grace of God, that they have been saved by grace and that they are being kept by grace and that they need grace. He's, instead of just bringing wishes of health and happiness, he's bringing a prayer of grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the normal Greek uh, greetings or the Gentile greetings was greetings, and he transformed that word to another word, grace to you. But he also includes a Hebrew greeting, a Jewish greeting, which was peace, shalom. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding us that this was a, uh, a congregation of Jews and Gentiles who were made one in Christ. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that he himself is our peace. And so they bring a greeting to the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a a blessing. It is a wish that the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ himself would grant grace and peace to this struggling congregation. And then he gives thanks, which is a normal part of his letter. But here's the thanksgiving in verses three to four. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right. Thanksgiving. Notice that it's, there's an oughtness to this thanksgiving. We ought to give thanks to God for you. Notice, as is right, as is fitting, as is proper, there's an oughtness to thanksgiving. But it's not only an oughtness, there is an ongoing oughtness. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. And this is the only place that this phrase is used in all of Paul's letters. It's unusual. And so we say, we ought always to give thanks to you. And so we could make the application, we ought always to give thanks to God for one another. And so there's a command to always, and there's an oughtness. But really, most scholars say that there must be something in the circumstance there that Paul uses this only in 2 Thessalonians. Michael Martin, uh, who wrote a commentary on 2 Thessalonians, he says this. He says, these terms of obligation occur only in the thanksgivings of 2 Thessalonians and not in Paul's other letters. Surely some circumstance prominent, if not particular, or peculiar to Thessalonica must have called for its use. And he says, based on the evidence of 1 Thessalonians 2, it does not seem too speculative to assert that Paul's opponents in Thessalonica criticized him as a flatterer. Thus, he may have used the obligation terminology in chapter 1, verse 3, and in chapter 2, verse 13, to make it clear to the church that his praise for them was not flattery, nor merely the biased appreciation of a loving father for his children. Rather, Paul assured them they had earned the affirmation they were about to receive, and he was obligated to give them their due. He goes on to say the apostles' words of thanksgiving were not empty flattery. They were just and proper affirmation of believers who had persevered in spite of persecution. Paul wasn't flattering. He was encouraging. He was doing what was right. These brothers and sisters had gone through a lot. They had persevered and endured under incredible affliction. And Paul was saying, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right. We give thanks to God and it's for you. We recognize that it's God's grace at work in your life. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you 
gave thanks to God for a brother or sister that you see the grace of God at work in their lives and you told them and you encouraged them. You're not flattering them. You don't have to worry about them getting puffed up or prideful. You just want to encourage them in the Lord and maybe they've gone through something recently and it is right for you to encourage them. It would be right. It would be just. It would be the proper and fitting thing to do to encourage them in the Lord, to thank God for how they persevered in the faith, for, for how they've gone through the sickness that they've been through and how they've endured and how they've come to church every Sunday when you know that they don't feel like it. It would be right to thank God for them and to tell them that you give thanks to God. Paul gives two reasons for this ongoing thanksgiving, the oughtness of thanksgiving. He gives two reasons. Look in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of everyone for one another is increasing. So the two reasons are growing faith and increasing love. Here are the two reasons. Growing faith, this word is, it means flourishing. Your faith is flourishing. Your faith is growing wonderfully. It's, it's a word that's only used right here. It's a rare word, and it means to grow to the limit. And Paul sees their faith as just exceeding all expectations, more than could be imagined. In fact, when you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this for when we were with you we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know for this reason when I could bear it no longer I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. Paul is amazed by their faith. Their faith has exceeded all expectations. They've grown and grown and endured these incredible circumstances of affliction and persecution, and yet they have remained strong in the faith. Remember several weeks ago when we were in Luke and, and we were talking about how Jesus demanded to sift not only Peter, but all of the apostles to sift them like wheat. And we saw that what he was after was the destruction of their faith. And Jesus said, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He stumbled. 
It failed for a moment, but it ultimately did not fail. He said, when, you're, uh, when you return, encourage the brothers. So all of us are going to struggle in the faith. In fact, Paul refers to it as the fight of the faith. It's a, a good fight. If you're fighting cancer, the reality is that you're fighting cancer in the, in the context of your faith. And see, you could lose the fight to cancer and win the fight of faith. Amen? Paul says, I've finished the race. I've fought the good fight of the faith. Paul was so encouraged by the Thessalonians he was giving thanks to God for their growing faith. It was more than could be imagined. It was growing to the limit, growing wonderfully. But secondly, for their increasing love. Verse 3. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And notice this. This is not just a general love. Wow, that congregation is a loving congregation. They just all love one another. It's not what he's saying. Notice how specific he is. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. What he saw and what he heard in this congregation is that Every single one in the congregation was demonstrating their love for one another. It wasn't just a loving congregation in general. It was in very specific and particular ways that everybody was involved. And I think it would be very easy for us in a, a larger congregation to really just hide People say, oh, Bull Street is a friendly congregation. Bull Street is a loving congregation. And we could be a part of it by our attendance and yet not be a part of it by our participation. If Paul heard about Bull Street, would he say this about us? That the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Maybe today you say, Lord, I find that I really don't love as I ought. I think most of us could say that. That I'm not really caring about other people around me. I'm primarily caring about myself. I, I'm really not concerned about what's happening in other people's lives. I'm just concerned about what's happening in my life. And maybe today this would be a call for us to love and to be intentional in our love for one another. The growing faith and the increasing love are in the context of intense persecutions and afflictions at Thessalonica. So he gives two reasons, the growing faith and increasing love, and one result. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you 
are enduring. The one result is that they have a powerful testimony of steadfast endurance. He gives thanks to God for their growing faith and their increasing love, and this leads him to want to tell everybody in all the churches about their powerful testimony of steadfast endurance right there in Thessalonica. See, Paul and Silas and Timothy are telling everyone about them. And their testimony is worthy to be celebrated and worthy to be emulated in all the churches. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 8, he's encouraging them with a testimony about the Macedonians. And notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected. Their faith was more than we, were, we expected. And this act of grace is more than we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, they wanted to participate in the ministry. Paul was taking back a, an offering to the, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he was encouraging all the Gentile churches to participate in this offering. And the Thessalonians said, sign us up. We want to be a part of it. We, God has done so much in our lives. We're just overflowing with His grace. And we want to be generous and share with those who are in need. A powerful testimony of steadfast endurance. Well, I want to give us four applications today from this that I hope will be helpful for us today. Number one, remember the gospel as the very foundation of your life. Remember at the beginning of the letter, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Remember the gospel is the very foundation of your life, that your salvation is by the grace of God alone. That the peace that you have with God comes from God. Your justification by faith is a gift from God. It's the work of God. And so remember the gospel is the very foundation of your life. And number two, recognize the gospel at work in other people's lives. Give thanks to God and tell them about it. Recognize the gospel at work in other people's lives. So many times we're thinking about ourselves. We don't even recognize what God is doing in other people's lives. But look around you. Look at what God is doing in other people's lives. Recognize it and give thanks to God and then tell them about it. It could be Noah 
brother, I see the grace of God at work in your life. I've seen you grow in your teaching ministry over these years, and you're making an impact among our young adults right here at Bull Street. Thank you. And I thank God for you and what God has done in your life. And I want to tell you about it. And it doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody about it publicly, but at least go to them privately and say, brother or sister, God is at work in your life. And I see it. And I'm encouraged. And I thank God for, for what he's doing. And, and I want to tell you, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. So many times we think, well, I don't want to say anything because they might get puffed up and then they're going to be prideful. I don't want to tell them that they've done a good job because you know, then that, does, that attributes you know, the good job to them and not God. Don't worry about all of that. Entrust them to the Lord and encourage them. It's right that we encourage one another. So many times the body of Christ is languishing for encouragement because we're so selfish and just thinking about ourselves and not recognizing what God is doing all around us at work in other people's lives. So recognize and give thanks and tell people about it. Number three, rejoice as you share the testimony of God's gospel at work in his people's lives. Paul said, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you're doing. We are boasting about it. We're so proud of you. We're so thankful for you. We're rejoicing what God has done in your life and your testimony, it's strong. So we can do that to one another. We can rejoice and, and share the testimony of God's grace at work in our midst. And, and it could be that you share in the community. You're like, wow, God is working in our church and it's such a blessing to be on the front row and to see God's grace at work and transforming lives and Tell people about it. That's one of the most powerful motivations. Paul used it in 2 Corinthians to motivate the Corinthians when he told the testimony about the Macedonians. So tell God's testimony of what he's doing in his people's lives. And number four and finally, respond to the gospel in obedience and faith. And maybe you're here and you've not yet become a Christian. You've heard about Christ. You, you don't know the good news. And let me tell you today, there is good news that God redeems and rescues sinners just like you and just like me. And the way that he did it, he sent his only son, the perfect son of God from heaven who died on the cross in the place of sinners. It was buried and was raised again on the third day. And by his sacrifice, sinners like us can be cleansed and forgiven and given new life and eternal life. And if you'll repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ, you can know that you have eternal life. Respond to the gospel in obedience and faith. And I say obedience because our passage next week speaks of the gospel as something that must be obeyed. John Calvin said, the, the gospel is not a word to be considered. It's a word that must be obeyed. If you've heard the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Respond to the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news. 
We thank you for your grace at work in our lives. We pray that we would be more loving in the congregation, that we would grow in love, every single one of us, for one another. Our love would be demonstrated in practical ways, in sacrificial ways, so that our city and our world would know that we are Christians by the way that we love one another. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, that we might become a more encouraging body, that we would encourage each other, that we would give thanks to God for one another, for his work in our lives. Help us to be more intentionally encouraging to one another, that the body of Christ would be built up in the faith. And Lord, we pray that you would grant salvation today. Lord, there's men and and women and children here today that need to be saved. God, would you even in this moment take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that would believe Grant repentance unto life today through the gospel. We pray for your glory and for people's good. In Jesus' name, amen.